Hello, this is Natalie Wright, and welcome to the Breckenridge Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Matt Busconi, co-head of portfolio management here at Breckenridge. Today, we're going to discuss some of the pros and cons of relying on benchmarks and some of the drawbacks of municipal benchmarks specifically. Across all asset classes, we do see investors use a benchmark to measure their returns. So we're gonna delve in a little bit more into how that can be beneficial and some things you need to watch out for. So Matt, what do investors and managers do to find the best benchmark for a strategy to begin with? So the best index is gonna be one that is most closely aligned with your strategy's characteristics. Uh, Ideally, that's going to be an index that's investable. Um, A good index is going to be one that can be replicated by liquid instruments in the market. The more liquid and traded the underlying instruments are, the more representative those returns are, and hence a better reflection of what your strategy is going to look like versus that index. Okay, well, what are some examples of some good benchmarks? So on the equity side, everyone's very familiar with the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, uh, and many of the ETFs that look just like those. Uh, On the fixed income side, Barclays runs several fixed income indices like the Barclays Government Credit uh, or the AG that people are very familiar with. Most of these major indices rely on items such as market capitalization, market prominence, and trading volume to determine their constituents. That's not often the case on the muni side. Okay, so you're talking about the indices that everyone knows and could feasibly be replicated. Correct, right. Well, what makes muni indices different? So the index that we're going to be referring to, the Barclays 1 to 10 year blended indice, is not exactly a household name. Most municipal indices are merely paper portfolios that are comprised of thousands of different securities that are infrequently traded. In fact, just over 10% of the par value of the bonds in the Barclays 1 to 10 year blended index has traded so far year to date. And the makeup of these indices may be very different than what an individual would like their muni portfolio to look like. In what way? So one example is that the indices increase weightings to the issuers with higher debt burdens and issue debt more frequently. Oftentimes, that's the opposite of what fundamental credit analysis usually dictates. Many of these index will have thousands of bonds that trade infrequently versus a portfolio of 30 to 40 bonds for most individuals. For these reasons, investors in muni bond strategies must exercise caution uh, when selecting indices to set portfolio structure or performance targets. Well, how does Breckenridge deal with all this? Does Breckenridge look to structure their client portfolios to look like the indices or what's going on? We definitely do not. Um, Our performance and structure may differ from the benchmarks because we're intentionally building our portfolios differently. Uh, A few examples would be our focus on investing on higher quality securities, owning bonds with less call risk, uh, or employing more diversified state exposure than the indices. Since we're active managers, we consciously build our portfolios to have certain structures that we know differ from the benchmark, but it is part of our strategy to manage things like call risk that the benchmarks don't have to do. I see. Well, let's take a closer look at some of the differences between the Barclays 1 to 10 year blend index and the Breckenridge Intermediate Tax Efficient Strategy. Let's start with ratings. So the index is generally going to own a higher percentage of A and triple B rated bonds versus our strategies. Uh, In keeping with our higher quality mandate, Breckenridge portfolios are likely to have an average credit rating uh, that's closer to double A minus. That's often going to lead to differences in performance depending on the month or a quarter. 
If there's a time period where risk is getting rewarded very well, those A and triple B securities will do much better and our performance may lag. But investors in our strategy might say, I've chosen you because I want a higher quality mandate and I'm comfortable with that. In periods where there's a risk off environment and high quality is rewarded, uh, we're going to do better than that. But we're not going to look to adjust our portfolio structure uh, to keep up with the returns of the indices uh, based on what happens on a month to month or a quarter to quarter basis. I see. And what about in terms of sector? The index has meaningfully larger exposure to what are traditionally considered riskier sectors in the muni market. Uh, Those may be industrial development revenue bonds, tobacco bonds, uh, continuing contair retirement communities, or housing bonds, to name a few. And also, given the market weighting, it tends to have more exposure to state general obligation bonds. So for a Breckenridge portfolio that has a national mandate, that would mean being compared to a benchmark that might have much more elevated exposure to, say, Illinois state general obligation bonds and California state general obligation bonds. Those bonds are probably not the best fit for a national portfolio. So therefore, depending on the performance of those two states, the index performance is going to get skewed where a Breckenridge portfolio would not have that performance tied to it. I see. Well, what will the sector profile of a Breckenridge portfolio look like? So we're going to emphasize higher quality bonds and avoid many of the sectors that we mentioned above. And we're also going to be more overweight essential service revenue bonds like water and sewer uh, or dedicated tax bonds. We also focus less on issue size that will lead lead us to having less exposure to state geos and more to local general obligation bonds. That local general obligation exposure is often very helpful when building state-biased portfolios as it allows us to build a more diversified portfolio and capture more double tax-exempt income for an investor in that state. Okay, so it sounds like, in general, part of our active management winds up with a situation where we just are going to have a higher quality portfolio than the index. Higher quality uh, and maybe a little bit more narrowly focused on sectors that we view as more traditional and safer municipal sectors. Okay, well, in the current low-rate environment, callable bonds are being used as a way to increase yield. What does the callability of the index look like? So the index has significantly more exposure to bonds with longer maturities and shorter call dates. Uh, Think something along the lines of a bond that has a 15-year final maturity uh, and perhaps a call date that's only five years from now. While we like to have some call exposure in our portfolios, we generally look to limit the distance between final maturity and call date to a maximum of, say, five years, depending on the interest rate environment and the slope of our yield curve. Why would you care about that kind of structure, or why do you set up your portfolios that way? So one of our main goals is to provide provide a stability to the income stream of the portfolio. There are two types of risk with a callable bond, call risk and extension risk. With call risk, if interest rates fall, the issuer is more likely to call in that bond, leaving an investor with proceeds to reinvest in a lower interest rate environment, reducing their future cash flows. With extension risk, it's the reverse. If interest rates starts to rise, those bonds are likely to stay outstanding and increase in duration as rates are rising, not giving you the ability to reinvest proceeds in a higher interest rate environment. All right, so this is just one more way that we may differ from the benchmark in that we are really looking to control these risks. Sure, and a good example over the last several years, oftentimes those bonds uh, with a longer final maturity and shorter call have performed better. So on a total return basis, we've lagged behind. But as the years have gone by and rates have stayed lower, many of those bonds have been called away, forcing people to reinvest at lower rates, whereas we were able to go out and buy 
non-callable bonds or bonds with a tighter structure, as we continue to hold on to those now, the income stream being generated by those bonds is higher than we can replicate in today's market. I see. Well, let's move on to transaction costs, one of the most discussed parts of the muni market. How does the index account for those? So the short answer is they don't have to. Index turnover is done at no cost, and it's at the evaluations provided by the pricing service. Uh, the reality is that transaction costs are relevant in our market. And depending on the piece size of the bond or the structure or the rating, the average transaction cost in the muni market could be north of 1%. So index performance has a clear but hidden advantage by not having to include them. We certainly look to minimize transactions cost as much as possible by having a vast network of broker-dealers, uh, but there is still a cost to trading in the muni market. So the index is able to get a pass on what we would say is, frankly, a, a big issue in the muni market regarding transactions and pricing versus evaluation services versus what you're actually executing in the market. Well, given all of these differences, why is there still such a big emphasis on benchmarks? So some aspects of a benchmark can be useful. Uh, they offer a bird's eye view of an asset class to compare relative value, and they provide a historical context for performance. They do have their limitations, and we believe they're less relevant for municipal bonds because they can't adequately represent the true trading activity or market composition, and often don't mask the risk tolerances or investment objectives of many clients. Okay, well, if we don't look to replicate or manage to an index, then what is Breckenridge's goal when building a portfolio? So we aim to create a portfolio that preserves capital and generates a high-quality, reliable, tax-efficient income stream through different interest rate cycles. These goals supersede the aim to mirror relevant benchmarks. We offer higher-quality portfolios that may allow us to outperform during risk-off periods when broader markets fall, where are falling. While we'd like to beat our benchmark, we certainly don't let it dictate our management of the portfolios, and really we continue to fall back on our main goals of preservation of capital and generation of tax-exempt income. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. We hope you in the field have found this informative, and we look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Have a great day.